watching, I bet today, from the hospital in Indianapolis, still going uh, through cancer treatments. Chris, we love you. God bless you. Uh, continue to fight hard. Uh, be nice to Rose uh, and your nurses. Uh, we're praying for your brother. Jeff Cooper and a whole bunch of guys and girls who are part of our military in the Middle East watch us on Facebook Live. And Jeff, we love you. Can't wait to have you back home with us in the cafe. But for now, thank you for being where you are, doing what you're doing. We love you and, and all who serve uh, our country. Uh, and anybody else who's found us, uh, Linda McCoy, who grabs Facebook Live a lot of Sundays, we love you and uh, we appreciate you all. Uh, you're a part of us. Luke chapter 15 is where we will be this morning. Uh, on Wednesday nights for a while, we've been going sort of verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to continue that, but we're also going to do Sunday mornings. And what happens is it lets us uh, get right to, uh, walk right through the road to Calvary and the crucifixion. Then we get to do the resurrection on Easter if we just follow through Luke at this pace. So this is what we're going to do. Wednesday nights, we've been reading big chunks of Scripture, though. And the Wednesday night crowd may be more used to that than some of you are. Uh, but, but I want you to understand why this is important. Uh, there's something to be said for those of us who just love to get a verse for the day, either from your Bible app or on Facebook. You just see a verse, and that'll be your verse for the day. Um, the problem is Scripture doesn't really come to us as a verse for the day. Uh, scripture comes to us in one uh, one word of God that is connected, it's continuous, and sometimes when you just take out a verse, you may or may not really interpret it according to the meaning that it would have if you left it right there in its context. When you read big chunks of scripture, you're often on a better a foundation for trying to understand what it, what it means, and Luke chapter 15 is one of those passages. For most of our lives in church, what we've done is for the most part take Luke chapter 15 and then just read the parable of the prodigal son. It's in there. It's in there. But the prodigal son is one of three parables that Jesus teaches on the same occasion in the same moment in answer to the same question. So sometimes what we've done with that parable, while it may be true enough and fair enough, it's not exactly what Jesus was doing with it when he preached it the first time. So by reading the entire chapter of Luke today, we're going to sort of get back into that moment when Jesus told these parables for the first time and understand what it would mean to them and, and then also what it means to us uh, by the power of the Spirit. Luke chapter 15 is where we will begin, so let's start there together. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Okay, stop. I broke one of my own rules, right? Because there's a chapter divide there, but there's no chapter divide when Jesus was talking. You understand? And so we should go back and look at the last thing that Jesus said in chapter 14. And what's the last thing Jesus said? Anyone with ears to ears, they should listen. Anyone with ears to ears should listen. So if Jesus just said that, then pay attention. In verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to what? Listen. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? So the whole chapter begins with that continuous thought, which leads us to that recognition that when it came to Jesus, some people listened and some people didn't. Some people listened, some people didn't. And you might go broke betting on whether or not you know which group was doing the listening. Because it's a little bit surprising. Because who listens? Chapter 15. Tax collectors, notorious sinners. 
I mean, the worst of the worst, the bottom of the barrel, the sinners, they listened to Jesus. They were drawn to Jesus. It was the religious folks who really wanted nothing to do with what he was saying. Interesting. So some people listen, some people don't. And then it goes on. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Okay, so again, we're setting up what what Jesus is about to say, and, and this is the occasion. This is what makes Jesus tell these three stories in a row. It's in response to these Pharisees who are complaining about him. They don't get him. They don't understand him. Jesus' very way of life raises questions for them. They don't understand why he's so drawn to sinners. Why is it in any group you'll have the religious people over here and the wild sinners over here, and Jesus every time makes a beeline to be with the sinners? They don't understand that. Why does he do that? But, but it's more than that. He eats with them. Now, in the Jewish mind, to eat with somebody, that's to fully accept them. That's to sort of recognize that we're one and the same. And the Pharisees would never eat with sinners. They would never sit at a table with somebody that they know was not spiritually clean. But Jesus does this all the time. Jesus eats with sinners. He celebrates with sinners. From their perspective, Jesus is a party boy. Always, always eating and drinking and celebrating, but always, always with the wrong crowd, with the sinners. This raises questions for them. And that question is exactly why Jesus says what he's about to say. But but, but let me just start with, with this principle. When you live the same kind of life Jesus lived, you'll raise the same kind of questions he raised. When you live the same kind of life Jesus lived, your life would raise questions too. So honestly, when's the last time anybody asked a question about about the way you live your life? Can we just be really honest? Most of us don't live a life that's that different from everybody else from the world. Now, if we were to follow Jesus, if we were to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived, we would not blend in with the world so well. Jesus didn't blend in with the religious crowd, with the sinful crowd. I mean, Jesus was one and just unique in all the world. And when you follow him, you're not going to be like the world. You won't be like everybody else. And, and I'm, I'm saying that, that your life should be the kind of life that raises questions. I mean, honestly, when's the last time somebody where you work said, gosh, could you please tell me why you're always so full of joy? Has anybody ever asked you anything like that? Why are you so full of joy? I mean, let's be honest, at work, you may be full of, you know, something, but it ain't joy. And the people recognize that. They don't see you as a person who's always at peace. How do you have such peace in the midst of so much trouble? I mean, does anybody ask you that? No, because chances are you're not a person at peace. You have the same anxiety, the same fear. You're just as mean as a snake as everybody else. At school, do you stand out? Do people wonder why you are always so kind to those who aren't in your social circle? I mean, do you live a life that raises questions? Because when you live the same kind of life Jesus lived, you'll raise the same kind of questions his life raised. And and I'm afraid for most of us, our lives are just not that questionable. 
You look like everybody else. You talk like everybody else. You love money just like everybody else. You watch the same TV shows like everybody else. I mean, we are at home in this world, and that is a contradiction to the Christ we say we follow. Pharisees didn't understand it. Complain about him, raise questions. Why do you do this? Why are you like this? So, Jesus tells them this story. You ready to go? Now, in verse 3, Jesus begins. He's going to answer this question. He's talking to the Pharisees, but remember, they don't listen. Pharisees don't listen. The sinners, they listen. Pharisees don't listen. They don't listen because they think they've heard it all before, right? And so, Jesus is a master preacher. It's a master preacher. When Jesus preaches, Scripture says he always told stories, always had a story. As a matter of fact, it says he didn't open his mouth without a parable, without a story. So right from the start, it's not what you expect. He never opened his mouth without a story. And he tells stories with, with a purpose. Now, the parables are amazing. They're often very simple stories, but pay attention. And the stories that Jesus is about to tell, about to teach, he's going to tell you three in a row. The first two are really very simple, and he's talking to the Pharisees, remember? He's talking to the Pharisees. Why do you celebrate with sinners? So Jesus is going to start telling them stories. The first one is simple. You'll find something lost, something found, a big celebration, and then Jesus will say, and that's how they celebrate in heaven. And then he'll tell another story, same pattern. Something's lost, something's found, there's a celebration, and that's how they celebrate in heaven, right? And then Jesus will tell a third story. Now, at this time, the Pharisees already messed up and started listening. Because stories have a way of doing that. You sort of lean in. Once they say once upon a time, something in you just has to listen until they say happily ever after. You know, stories have a way of bringing you in. So with these stories, Jesus is going to knock on the front door of the Pharisees. They're going to go to the front door. And then Jesus is going to run around and sneak in the back door and drop a ton of truth on their heads. They don't expect it. And that's how Jesus talks to the people who don't listen. Use a parable. Come in the back door of their mind and then drop the truth. So watch it. Jesus will follow this pattern. Lost, found, celebration. Lost, found, celebration. And then the last story. Lost, found, celebration, twist. Story has a twist. And the twist is the point. All right? Let's read it. Luke chapter 15, verse 3. So Jesus told him this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he found it? Will he not joyfully carry it home on his shoulders? And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or, or, story number two, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels whenever one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, all right? 
Wait for it, wait for it. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger, I'll go home. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, you ready? Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of a safe return. Older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And, and in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet yeah, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Father said to him, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Y'all see what Jesus did there? It's a twist, and the twist is what matters. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they don't understand Jesus. They don't understand his attraction to, to, to sinners. They don't understand his celebration with sinners. So Jesus tells them three stories just to get the point home. And the stories are amazing. The, the first sort of point you got to see is that Jesus is trying to emphasize how God seeks the lost one. Take a shepherd, for example, who has 100 sheep, 99 safe in the fold, but one of them is lost. Won't that shepherd leave the 99 and go look until he finds it? And then brings it home and there'll be a celebration. And in the same way, God celebrates every time one lost sinner comes home. That's Jesus' story. Emphasizing them. God seeks the lost one. Like a woman who has ten coins and then loses one. And so she begins looking for it frantically. She's turning over all the couch cushions. She's swiffering under all the furniture. When she finds it, 
She puts it on Instagram. She puts it on Facebook. She tweets it out. She calls all her friends and says, I found the coin. Come on over. They have a party. And just like that, there's a party in heaven every time a sinner comes home. You understand? God seeks the lost one. He seeks. It's an active seeking. It's not just sitting around moping, wishing he'd come home. No, no. The shepherd goes out and looks until he finds him. It's determination. It's a deliberate search. It's a passionate, never-ending search until every single lost one comes home. That's what God is like. On top of that, God celebrates the one who is found. God is a God who celebrates. Understand, we're talking to the Pharisees. They don't get into any of this. They don't do any of this. They don't celebrate. They certainly don't seek the lost ones. And they don't understand Jesus. God's a God that celebrates the one who is found. He celebrates. Just like that, he says, there's a celebration in heaven every time a sinner comes home. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. They don't celebrate. They keep all the religious rules, and they'll make sure you keep the religious rules, but they do not celebrate. They certainly don't celebrate sinners for any reason. Well, they celebrate sinners for one reason. Notice how Jesus continues to say, in the same way, there is a celebration in heaven every time a sinner repents, every time a sinner comes home. The Pharisees actually had a very similar saying. You know what the Pharisees used to say in Jesus' day? The Pharisees would say, there is a celebration in heaven every time a sinner perishes from the earth. That's what the Pharisees believed. Heaven celebrates every time a sinner perishes because, you know, that's just one less of them we got to fool with. We're all better off without them. Do you understand that? Understand how Jesus is turning everything they believe upside down and on its head. God seeks the lost one. He loves the lost. And God celebrates every time one comes home, every time one is found. So understand what this means for us. If we're going to follow this God, if we're going to allow Jesus and the spirit of Jesus to transform us, to be more like him, then we got to be more like this. We must seek the lost and celebrate the found. We have to. This is what we do because this is what Jesus does. I just don't think we do. Can, can I be, just be honest? I don't think we're like this. I mean, yeah, I mean, you say, Pastor Tim, but, but, but this is a good church. Well, it's a good church in a lot of ways. I love this church. But we're more like the 99 sheep that are, that are there in the fold. And, and sometimes because we're all safe and we're all at home, we just sort of forget the rest of the world. We forget they're even out there. And so we, we sort of become very, very concerned mostly about ourselves and our own well-being. And, and when you got 99 sheep there, they're in the barn, you know, they start, you know, sort of caring more about the barn and, and themselves. And, and sometimes I feel more like, you know, the 99 sheep went and hired a chaplain and I'm your chaplain and my whole job is to do your weddings and do your funerals and, and visit you in the hospital and... And, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying more and more and more of what we do is less and less of this. Less and less of bringing the lost sheep home and less and less of celebrating the found. Honestly, we just don't see enough 
lost sheep get found around here to have very many parties if this is what we're waiting to celebrate for. And, and that is a disastrous kind of statement to make in description of us. In the last decade, this whole end of Warren County has changed dramatically and beautifully, I would say. I love what's happening. I love the neighborhoods coming in. I love our new neighbors. The problem is I don't know a lot of them. You don't either. Within a 10-mile radius of our church now, we have neighborhoods that are majority Bosnian. I happen to think that's fantastic. I think it's amazing. I mean, used to, if we wanted to do any, you know, sort of, you know, mission to Bosnia, we'd have to go to Bosnia. Now you can go to Greystone. Understand? Five miles up the road. I mean, it's amazing what's happened. Talking to Jason Dunbar, our, 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 youth, our youth pastor, he's awesome. I said, Jason, tell me about your neighbors. And he said, well... On the left side and on the right side, we got Russian families. Every house around him, Russian families. I happen to think that's awesome. I also am really bothered by the fact that our church has zero Bosnians. That's not good. That's not good. If there are Russian families around our church now, but no Russian families in our church, that's not good. Because the only thing that could mean is Woodburn Baptist Church is no longer reaching its community. And if we're not reaching our community, tell me what we're doing. I mean, just tell me. If the people right around our church haven't heard the good news from us, then why exactly are we here? You understand? We really don't have this seeking heart that the Father has. In everything that I've ever read, a church that no longer reflects its community is a church in decline. So we are a church in decline. We're not reaching the community. This is not good for us. So I don't know exactly what we have to celebrate until we start to see the lost children of God coming back home. This is our job. This is what we do. Listen to a brother pastor talk about his Sunday morning routine. And he said that every Sunday on the way to church, he would stop at Minute Mark. First thing you notice is just how many people are out. Because if you're a church person, as a lot of us are, like some of us have gone to church every Sunday for the last, you know, 50 years. And so we have no idea. We really don't understand. Number one, we don't understand that in Warren County, 80% of the population, 80%, they don't ever go to anybody's church. Never. And they don't plan on it. So we're in the minority, but we don't understand the world. So we don't understand there's a whole world out there that doesn't even know it's Sunday. So the pastor was going to Minute Mart and always kind of amazed at how many people hung out at Minute Mart on a Sunday morning, the same people. He described the woman who worked there. She's just kind of one of those rough chicks, you know, just a rough girl. She cussed a lot, but you ever hung on that person that cusses, but you recognize she don't even know she's cussing. Th th those are just her words. That's just, that's, she, just, she don't even know she's cussing. And there was another guy there every single Sunday morning, big guy. Pastor said that at first he thought he was older, then he realized he was just really young and just looked really old. He had a beard down to here and just covered in tattoos, never smiled. He was just that 
big guy, always sat there at the table. Pastor would come in at a Minimart every Sunday for the longest time. He, he never had an evangelistic conversation. He never said much more than good morning, got his coffee, and got in the car and came to church and preached. But slowly, they started recognizing him every Sunday, and he would recognize them, so they started talking more. And one day, one of them said, you look like some kind of preacher. And he said, oh, I am a preacher. I'm pastor of the church up the road. He told him where he was pastor, and they just all sort of laughed about that. He said, y'all should come to my church sometime. And they would say, oh, we're not, you know, if we come to church, the roof will cave in. Everybody says that. If I come to church, the roof will cave in. But it was that guy with the beard, the, the younger guy that looked a lot older, that, that, that started just saying, where is your church? And he'd say, it's around the corner. So one of these days, I'm going to come hear you preach. Pastor said, I, I really wish you would. It, 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 we'd love to have you. I, I wish you'd come. And Sunday after Sunday, he would say that. I, one of these Sundays, I'm going to come, and I'm going to hear you preach. And the preacher would say, I, I really wish you'd come. One day, the man said, one of these Sundays, I'm going to come hear you preach. And the pastor said, I, I, I really wish you would. I wish you'd come. And, and then he said something he never said. The, the man just said, well, what are you preaching on today? Pastor said, uh, today I'm preaching on the lost sheep. And that man just stopped and he looked that pastor in the eye and he said, I'm a lost sheep. There's lost sheep all around us. And there's something profoundly dead in our hearts that we don't seem to care. God is a God who seeks the lost one. He never turns the porch light off. He never stops looking up the road. He never stops reaching out. He never stops calling. He never stops crying. He never stops begging. God wants every lost one to come home. And when they do, he celebrates. There is joy. And these are the stories that Jesus tells. He's talking to the Pharisees. Remember, they don't really love the lost, and they certainly don't celebrate them ever. So Jesus gets to the third story. This is the prodigal son story, and we always preach it. And, and, and sometimes we preach it, and we've even stopped at verse 24. So the party began, because that's where the other stories stop. You know, there, something's lost, something's found. Then there's a party. But when you read this prodigal son parable in its context, you understand that that twist, that, that tail end of that parable, that's the whole point. That's when Jesus, remember, knocks on the front door with the story, sneaks around the back door, and then comes in on the Pharisees and delivers the truth bomb that they weren't ready to hear, but this time they're going to hear it. They don't know it yet, but they are the elder brother. You know the story, right? There's something lost, a son, something found, the son, and then the party begins. And then the elder brother walks up. He hears music. He smells barbecue, and he says, what's going on? Understand? He's the Pharisee. What's going on, he asked the servant. And the servant says, well, your brother came home. Your brother is home. And your father is celebrating. Your brother is home. So your father, he hired a band. Your father got one of those portable dance floors from those party places and he put it out by the barn and your mama's out there right now, you know, getting jiggy with it. Your mom and your dad and there's a party and your daddy brought in like all this barbecue and there's a brisket on the smoker. I mean, it's, it's, it's a party. Your brother came home. 
And the elder brother is so angry. What's his problem? Same problem as the Pharisees. You understand how this works? A couple of things real quickly. First off, he doesn't understand relationship. The elder brother. This is the meat of the story, you all. This is the point of the story, and we skip right over it. Notice the older brother. He doesn't understand relationship. Father comes out, begs him to come back in, and all the brother can say is, all these years I've slaved for you. I've slaved for you. Done everything that you ever told me to do, and what have you ever done for me? I slaved for you. Isn't that amazing? And then he says, and then... When this son of yours comes back, and that kind of, this son of yours, because notice when the father responds, notice how the father's relationship language is just so different. Verse 31, the father says to him, look, dear son, it's not slave, look son, dear son, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now he's found. You understand? Your brother. It's, it's the language of relationship, but the elder brother doesn't do relationship. Understand, this is important because salvation doesn't come from doing the Father's work. It comes from receiving his love. It's not about the work. It's not about just, I've done everything you ever told me to do. I've slaved for you. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is to live in the Father's house and receive the Father's love. And only Jesus makes that possible. Pharisees have a really, really difficult time getting saved because they're so convinced that they don't need salvation. They're so convinced that because they keep the rules, because they live at the house, for that reason, they don't need anything from the Father. Salvation doesn't come from doing the Father's work. It's not about anything else than receiving his love. You have to be in relationship. And only Jesus can mend that broken relationship. The elder brother doesn't understand relationship. And he doesn't see his privileges. A slave for you. I live in this house doing what you want me to do like a slave. And you've never done anything for me. <laughs> what? That sounds just like your teenager every time you ask him, you know, to make up his bed. You know, I'm a slave for you, you know. What is wrong with you? I do everything in this house. Y'all don't ever do nothing. You know, talking to his dad who just worked a, you know, 50-hour week. You know, I do everything around here. You know, this is that elder brother. He doesn't understand his privileges. Man, he's not living in this house as a slave. He's a son. He's a son. What have you ever done for me? And the father says, everything I have is yours. Doesn't understand privileges. Most of us, even those of us who, are, who would say that we're saved, we belong to Christ, we don't understand our privileges. The scripture says that because of Jesus, I receive all of the inheritance of Christ. I just get that. Now, I'm not Jesus. I'm not righteous as Jesus is righteous. I mean, I'm a miserable sinner just like you. But at the very same time, I get all of the righteousness of Christ just applied to me. It's a privilege. It's a gift. It's called salvation. 
all of it. I, I have the righteousness of Christ. I have his power because I have his spirit. I have his authority because I can pray in his name and live in his name. Do you understand the privileges of just being a son of the father? Because the elder brother does it. I slave in this house. All I do is what you tell me to do. And you've never done anything for me. Kill the fatted calf from a no good brother. But you've never even, you never even got me a bucket of chicken. You never even ordered a pizza when my friends came over on Friday night. Never even ordered out pizza. And the father says, dude, you've got my credit card. You understand? You have my credit card. Everything that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You have such privilege. You are my son. He doesn't get that. And he certainly doesn't share the father's joy. He doesn't share the father's joy because he really never will accept his grace. See, for the prodigal, grace feels different. Because when you're the prodigal, when you're the one who always messes up, when you're the one who takes all of daddy's money and then puts it in a pocket with a hole in it and come back home with nothing, I mean, when that's you, you can really appreciate grace. When all you have done is mess up and embarrass yourself, when all you have done is prove that you are worth nothing, when, when you're that son and you come home and your father says, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you become, you just come home. Understand, that's grace and that's beautiful. But Pharisees don't like grace that much, you know, because it's different when you always stayed home. I stayed here and I worked. While that son of yours was out there blowing your money, I stayed home and I did everything right. I followed every rule. I'm saying it's really hard for those who think they don't need grace. It's really hard for them to accept grace. But at the end of this story, do you recognize at the end of this story, the son who left home and then came back by the grace of the father and, and moves back in and celebrates the party, that prodigal son, understand, at the end of this story, he is in the father's house. He's home where he belongs. At the end of this story, where is the elder brother? He's not far. Can't run this turkey off out by the mailbox, throwing his little fit and refusing to come in. He refuses to come in. At the end of this story, it's the elder brother who thinks he doesn't need grace, who will not come into the father's house. You know, let's just be honest, there is kind of nothing more annoying than somebody else's party. Somebody else's party. You ever been like in an apartment, you live in an apartment and the upstairs neighbors like throw a party? Don't you hate that? And it might be an awesome party. They may really know how to party, but at the same time, it's not your party and you hate it. You know, so the music up there is too loud and, and they apparently are dancing, you know, with horses because it's, you know, all you can, you know, it's like your ceiling's going to come down and the cars are parked in your yard. And if they don't shut that party down by 10 o'clock, you will be calling the police. You understand? I mean, somebody else's party is just annoying. 
Now, we live in the woods. We have basically no neighbors. Birds, squirrels, coyotes. It's, it's really nice. But we have some neighbors over, like, on Nashville Road. And, like, once a year, they throw this giant party. Like, once a year, a giant party. Well, it's annoying. It's giant. They set up a tent. Like, they get a tent. Like, a tent the size of the sanctuary. And they put it closer to my house than their house. Like, it's, like, right there. And it's, like, a two-day party. And the music goes on and on. And I happen to like music. But it's not my music, you know. And it's just loud. And it just plays and I see cars parked all over the place, and, and I can smell food sometimes. It smells good. And I'm not nosy, but I have climbed the fence and kind of walked through the woods and just sort of looked at their party, hoping it's over by the time I go to bed, but I have to preach on Sunday, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's their party not my party. For, so for that reason, it's just more or less annoying. And that's the elder brother, you understand? Because it's not his party. It's a party for his father's other son who doesn't deserve a party. Good for nothing brother. Wasted everything. Now he comes home. Daddy rolls out the red carpet. It's not his party. So he's standing up by the mailbox, pitching his fit and mad as fire. They're saying, that is the Pharisee. Jesus was celebrating every sinner that come home from their sin. They don't understand that. So they stand out by the mailbox and pitch their little fit. Refuse to come in. That's, that's the older brother. What he doesn't understand. I mean, he hates this party because it's not his party, right? But just doesn't understand that if he would just stop complaining and if he would soften his heart and listen to his father, if he would just walk in that door, it would be his party too. Do you hear me? It would be his party too. Some of you are the lost sheep. You are here in the church and uh, thinking that maybe somehow that makes you safe. But um, coming to church isn't the same thing as coming to Jesus. I, I want you to learn how to come to Jesus. I want you to learn how to come back home to the Father through Jesus and live as his daughter, live as his son. I want all those lost sheep to come home to, to Jesus. And I want us as believers, I want all of us as church members here to learn that this is, this is what we live for. To see that all, all the lost sheep come home and, and we don't rest, we don't stop. We don't have anything else more important to do until we find them and bring them to Jesus and, and then we celebrate.